0: Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 Community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. So the March before I graduated from college, I had a deep, deep sense of panic begin to take hold of my soul. I realized I was gonna be alone for really the first time in my entire life. Even when I left Southern California to go to little old Joplin, Missouri for college, one of my closest friends from high school was going to the same school, so we had each other. And here I was five years later, two degrees later, having incredible relationships, being poured into, learning so much stuff, but now I was getting ready to move to New Orleans on my own, not knowing anyone, and I was, I was terrified. I mean, I was just, I didn't know what to do every time I thought about it. When I get nervous, like, it's all in my gut. Like, I just feel it. I feel gross. I feel nauseous. My hands get clammy. I was trying to find any of my friends, and I would talk to them. And I was like, hey, why don't you bail on your plans and move to New Orleans with me? Because I just, the thought of being alone was terrifying. And so I did something really stupid. I got into a romantic relationship with someone two months before I graduated. Don't judge me. Don't give a woo. Woo. <laughs> Don't woo either, because I'm I'm not done. Not just someone, but a girl that I had broken up with a year prior, because I knew that there was no future for us, right? You guys, this was a long time ago, so okay, I've apologized, she's forgiven me, we've moved on, but um, in my brain, I really rationalized um, that it was okay to just latch on, because she, she was more or less a lifeline for me. She was a life preserver because myself, the story that I heard, I think is a familiar story that all of us hear, that, that being alone is terrifying and you don't want to be alone. And so you want to do everything you can to, to make sure that you don't feel that loneliness. But let's be honest, whether you're single or married or somewhere in between, we all know what that loneliness feels like. But I think what happens in our culture, whether we realize it or not, is that we're told from a pretty young age that if you are not um, if you're not having sex, if you're not working towards marriage, if you're not working towards a family, somehow you are less than. Somehow you don't have as much value. There must be something wrong with you. In our culture, we've, we've made these things kind of weird benchmarks of maturity. That if, if, you, if you have sex and, and you're working towards marriage and you're working towards a family, somehow you are working towards the ultimate Good And in the process, you're devaluing everybody else. That's the story we hear, implicitly or explicitly. And that's oftentimes the story that we tell ourselves. And listen, the church, the church is complicit in this. The church across the world, most religious institutions, it's the same thing. We've held up the same idea that marriage and family is the end all to be all. And what happens when we do that, that means we say that anyone who's not married, anyone who doesn't have a family then that means that they're less than. And that's just not true. Now, last week, Leanne and I preached on sex and marriage. It was a fun message to give and not awkward at all. Um, (laughs) And we started working through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Um, And today, I am preaching on living single. And really, today's message is kind of a part two of last week's message. Those two messages really go in tandem with one another. So if you haven't listened to last week's message, I would definitely encourage you to do that, obviously not right now, um, in the future, uh, and maybe in a few weeks even listen to these two sermons back to, back to back because they really inform one another. Now, truth be told, I'm not single, um, and I wanted to make sure that my voice wasn't the only voice that was being heard today. So I reached out to about 20 single friends of mine here at A10 as well as around the country who range in age from 15 to 67. Um, Some have been single their whole lives, some are divorced, some are actively trying to date, some are widowed or widowers. And I asked them to look over the scripture that we're going to be going through today and just give me their thoughts. Just give me their kind of gut reactions and even kind of their experience on being single and I'm going to be sharing some of their thoughts and reflections throughout the message today for a few different reasons. One, because I don't want it just to be my voice. That feels very disingenuous to me to be a married guy preaching about singleness without hearing from a single person. So that just feels weird. Two, for the single people that are hearing this, I hope first and foremost that you will hear your own voice. I hope that you will hear something from someone today and go, "Oh man, I'm so glad I'm not the only one that thinks that." Or oh, you put into words something that I've been feeling that I haven't quite been able to articulate. I also hope, though, that you will be challenged. I hope that you will be challenged by some of the things that are shared today. And then lastly, for married people, I really hope that you will be challenged. Because let's face it, it's very easy to live in a bubble. We all do it, but it's really easy for married people to live in a bubble unaware of how someone is actually feeling or the life that they're living. So I'm hoping this morning we'll we'll pop that bubble a little bit uh, and open your eyes up to be a little bit more empathetic and be more intentional. Um, I uh, just, I really foundationally want to make sure we're all on the same page with two things. Number one, our identity does not come from your sexuality, your gender, or your relationship status. We live in a world where that is what we tell ourselves. We have friends, we have family members, we have systems in place that that is what we are told and that's what ends up defining us. So just to be very clear, you are a child of God who is loved and is valued more than you will ever possibly know. The second thing is all singles aren't alike. (laughs) They are not a homogenous group where they all think alike, talk alike, they all believe the same stuff. There are a lot of different perspectives and personalities, and I wanted to give you an idea of this a little bit by reading three different perspectives just to start off. One person wrote to me and said, I've always interpreted this passage from Paul as a reminder that singleness can be a gift. I've seen among Christians a certain amount of social pressure on young people to marry and have children, like it's what God expects us to do. But I do think that Paul is providing that alternative and equally worthy path. Another person wrote, definitely familiar with these verses, as they're often pointed to by married people within the church, to attempt to encourage singles within the church about why it's good to be single, that being single is a gift. Then he says, right, a gift that nobody wants. And then oh, one of my friends, she wrote to me and she goes, ooh, Topher, you're kicking the hornet's nest with this one. Good luck. Good luck. And then she said, honestly, if you would have sent me these verses two years ago, anything I would have responded with would probably have just sounded bitter because I was really bitter. I realized though through study, healthy relationships and friendships and a good dose of counseling that all that bitterness I had was really bitterness at myself. Truth be told, when you go so long without a romantic possibility, the insecurities inside of you start to rule over you. But over these last two years, I realized something profound, at least profound to me. I can have a fulfilling life with deep, intimate, non-sexual relationships without a spouse. It's not always easy, and if it ends up happening, great, awesome, 17 exclamation points. (laughs) But I'm done wasting time wondering what if. I'd rather enjoy the life that God has given me for as long as I have it. We're going to get, dig in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. And last week, we gave a lot of the context, which is, again is why these, these two sermons will, will really work in tandem. But one thing I want to point out uh, continually is that Paul is speaking to a specific audience at a specific point in time. And the audience in which he is speaking to in the city of Corinth, at that time, there was a lot of famine that was happening throughout the Roman Empire and throughout the city of Corinth. And so there was a lot of hardship. There was a lot of Um, challenges that people were facing across the board, people having to relocate, people watching loved ones pass away because of doing without, losing everything they have. So there is a context that is wrapped around some of the stuff that we're seeing today, and it's important as we dig into the scripture. He begins, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, meaning single, but each has their own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We talked about the sexual aspects of things last week, but what I want to point out is the broad picture. Because big picture stuff in Scripture is often missed. When we, as humans, come to Scripture, and really come to anything, we come at it with a perspective and a lens that we are viewing everything from. If you grew up in Southern California as in a single-family home, Um, with no siblings, that is how you're going to approach Scripture. If you are in a very happy marriage and you have three kids and haven't experienced a lot of trials or trauma in your life, that is how you're going to view Scripture. If you are single and loving it, that is how you're going to view Scripture, and so on and so forth. Part of our job when we come to Scripture is to do our very best to peel that all away and to really hone in on what the author is trying to get at. And so, What happens is that we will pick up on little things and will oftentimes miss the big picture. What Paul is doing here is intentionally leveling the playing field. He is single, he is celibate, he sees the value of it, he's not ashamed of it. He wants other people to see the value of it. But he couches both marriage and singleness as a gift from God. One is not better than the other, they both have their purpose and they both are gifts. Let's stop there for a second, because I know some of you, both married and single, will go, "Mm mm-mm. I know a lot of married people. I know a lot of single people. I don't know many of either who look at their relationship status as a gift. I know people that look at their relationship status as something they get to enjoy, or something that they're being punished with. I know people that look at their relationship status as something they have to endure, Or trudge through. But I don't know many people that look at their relationship status as a gift. And what happens when someone gives you a gift? Generally, if you're not a complete soulless monster, (laughs) you feel gratitude, right? Someone gives you a gift, you feel a sense of, of gratitude. You feel a sense of affinity, maybe affection. Maybe you feel seen. Maybe you feel cherished. And so let me ask you, what would change in your relationship with God and others? If you embrace the fact that your relationship status is a gift, that it's not something just to be enjoyed, that it's not a punishment, that it's not something to be trudged through, it's not something to be endured, but that's actually a gift. Would that, would that cause you to interact with people differently? Would that cause you to live your life differently? And I want to I be really clear. I'm not saying or uh, advocating to be in abusive relationships where you're abusing someone or someone else is abusing you and just go, you know what, you just need to look on the bright side of things and see that as a gift. I'm not saying that. I am saying apart from the ways in which we cause brokenness in ourselves or in others, what would change? What would change in your life if, you've rec- if you recognize that your relationship status from God is a gift and that it's a gift with a purpose? Married or single, what would change? One person who sent me feedback says this, and she is a licensed psychologist. If you're looking for someone to make you happy, you aren't looking for a relationship so much as you are looking for an escape. An escape from a reality that even if it's a temporary reality, that you're unwilling to accept. I truly believe, because I've had to learn the hard way, that although it isn't always easy, accepting the reality we are in provides perspective. Ultimately, it's a perspective that leads to a deeper trust and that God has got me in spite of my circumstances, and I ultimately have opportunities that others don't. Every aspect of my relationship status, she says, is ultimately a gift, and I want to be grateful for it. Paul continues, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Are you engaged to a wife? Are you already married? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Are you single? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, if you, have not, if you have not sinned, and if you're a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. That's my favorite part. Those who are married will have worldly troubles. Anyone who's been married can go, <laughs> duh. <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't know a single person in my life, literally single people, who doesn't have worldly problems. If you have breath in your lungs, you have worldly problems. We live in a broken world. We experience things that are hurtful and painful and we have to trudge through aspects of our life that are so hard and so frustrating. And this is, again, why a big picture is, is really important to understand when you're reading Scripture. Because it's easy to read that and go, see see what Paul's doing? He's just doing the same thing. He's just elevating one over the other. And that's, that's not what he's doing. He's wanting people to have a clear perspective. Because let's be honest, there is a thing that happens between married and single people. And really, I think amongst people in general, it's that whole grass is always greener on the other side thing, right? Like it's just something that exists. I know plenty of married people who miss being single because of the freedom that they had. And they believe, whether true or not, that being single was ultimately simpler. I also know too many married people who are lonelier now in their marriage than they ever were when they were single. And I know many single people who look at marriage as an opportunity to, to have a partner, to have someone have your back, to navigate the ups and downs of life with, to be able to share love and enjoy sexual intimacy the way that God has designed it. And all of those things are true to an extent. Single people, you, you do generally have more freedom than married people you do have an element of life that sometimes is simpler. However, we both know, we all know, that that doesn't mean it's easier. And there is an opportunity when you're single to use the freedom that you have to make some really bad decisions that have lasting consequences because you, you don't really have the built-in accountability that should come with marriage. That, that, is, all, that is all very true. But listen, it's also true, and any married person can tell you this, there are many times when you are most certainly not on the same page. When you don't have a partner, you have an opponent. There are moments in your marriage when your soul is aching so much because it doesn't feel like you have a spouse who who loves you anymore. It just feels like you have a roommate. And the closest thing to intimacy that you share might be dinner. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. That's just the reality. It's something that we tell ourselves. And, and look, it's really easy to read this and go, well, this is just Paul's opinion. Does it, even, does it matter? Well, sure, I guess you could say it's Paul's opinion. But yes, it matters. It matters. This isn't Paul just spouting off things because he had too much wine. He's recognizing. He's being upfront and honest. Yeah, this is my opinion. This is my judgment. This is, this is how I see it. But the way in which it's written, it's to remind the readers and us today of the wisdom that he has, the things that God is doing in and through Paul back then and what we see that God continues to use Paul throughout Scripture today. It's kind of like we have to follow laws when we drive, right? But it's the people who have been driving the longest and in a certain area, they're going to be able to want to give you the best directions, they're going to be the ones that can tell you, you know what, at this time you're going to want to avoid that road because the traffic is going to be terrible or don't ever go down that street because that pothole will literally swallow your car. Like they're the ones that have the wisdom that although it might not be law are ultimately going to help you navigate wherever you're going a little bit better. So there is value because it is wisdom. It's the same thing as the book of Proverbs. People love to hold on to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs isn't commands. It is wisdom. And it should be honored. It shouldn't just be Discounted Now, that, that phrase in view of this present distress, it's functioning in two ways. One, it's talking about the realities of, of what's going on. Remember, that there's famines going on. But it's also alluding to the fact of the promise of Christ returning and ushering a new heaven and a new earth. That's the basic gospel message. Christ came and died for our sins that so we can experience grace, so that we can experience forgiveness, so that we can experience the fullness of life. He had victory over death so we would no longer be separated between us and God and we have the opportunity to have eternal life that for those that surrender their lives to him, we get to enjoy all the benefits of that of knowing how valued and loved and how much grace is bestowed upon us. And so Paul is talking about both of those things, but in some ways, Paul's just being really practical here. He's talking to single people and going, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. Do you really think it's the best idea to get into a relationship? You're barely able to keep yourself alive. Are you, are you, are you really sure that you want, into a, uh, want to enter into a marriage covenant where now you're also going to be responsible for helping someone else stay alive? I, I, are you sure you want to do that? I'm not. If you want to do it, it's not a sin. God, it's just it's going to be tough. I want you to have open eyes. It's marriage is not bad. Marriage is great. Singleness is not bad. It's great. They are both gifts. They both have a purpose. I just want you to have open eyes. And then he kind of goes into these various illustrations, and he ultimately lands here. He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, there is an assumption that those who are reading this letter are already followers of Christ. There's an assumption that they have some background information of God and his kingdom. Paul, when he writes, when his word choice is always very intentional, and what we see happening in chapter 7 is it actually circles back on itself many times, and when that happens, that's usually a rhetorical tool to make sure that the main points, the big points, aren't missed. So let me distill this down for us as best I can in a way that we could all get it. And singles, I need you to hang in with me. (laughs) Because there is a chance that what I'm going to say is going to make a few of you go, oh gosh, this again. So just please hang in there with me. The gift of singleness is that you have a level of freedom that those who are married do not. It's just a reality. Because ultimately you are only responsible for yourself. When you're married... You're not only dealing with your own junk, your own baggage, your own issues, you are dealing with your spouse's junk, your spouse's baggage, your spouse's issues, and you are responsible to help them with that. You're not only looking out for your own interest and your own survival, you're looking out for how your spouse is going to benefit and how they are going to survive, how your children are going to survive. As a single person, you are responsible for yourself which gives you more freedom that those who are married do not. That doesn't always land well with us. We don't always want to hear that because in the whole of history, we have made this unequal approach to marrieds and singles that one is greater than the other when they are a level playing field. But biblically speaking, just realistically speaking, the gift of singleness is that you have a level of freedom that those who are married do not. The purpose of singleness is a freedom to serve the king and the kingdom wholeheartedly. Hang in there with me because I know some of you right now want to get up and walk out. Stay calm, breathe. Mm. I understand that fact and that that purpose does not make your life easier. It does not take away a longing for companionship, it doesn't make you feel less alone. It doesn't make you feel seen. It certainly doesn't take away sexual desire. It doesn't mean that people in a relationship are better than you, and it doesn't mean that you are better than anyone. What it should do is to reframe the reality that for however long you are called to be single, that there is still purpose to be found. Because whether we accept it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, whether we hear it, want to hear it or not, our relationship status is a gift with purpose. Now I was listening to a single gentleman named Neil Harden speak about being single not too long ago, and although I disagreed with several things that he said, I did agree 100 percent with one specific assessment. He said, "In my opinion, one of the biggest failings of the church in regards to singleness is that we have failed to teach singles that their singleness has a purpose. That their singleness comes with responsibilities, that their singleness needs to be stewarded, and that this is true regardless of your desire to marry or not. Instead, the message that is often implied from those in the church is that singleness has no good purpose. Many sermons have been preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with the same point because Paul is, is pretty clear on what the point that he's trying to make is. And although he's speaking to a a, a specific group of people at a specific time, that broader truth that our relationship status is a gift, that if you're single, there is purpose in that. If you're married, there is purpose in that. Still rings true. However, the application that is given often undermines the entire message. Because oftentimes the application is, Singles, you have more freedom. Single, there is purpose for the king and the kingdom. You know what? You know what that means? That means you should serve more at church. You know what? That means you should lead this team because clearly you have more time on your hands, right? That means, oh, you know what? I know you're lonely, but if you serve, it'll make you feel less lonely because you won't be focused so much on your own loneliness, that's the narrative that we tell single people whether we realize it or not and it's not just in the church. I did a lot of research in businesses on how businesses treat the uh, reality of singleness in the workplace versus married people. And it is shocking the reality of how unequal it really is. People will look to single people to handle the big project. They will be looked to the single people to fill the shift because well why can't they? they they're not married they don't have other responsibilities that's that's what we say vacation requests vacation requests are routinely given priority to married people or married people with family over singles because singles have more flexibility so You know, we've got to stick with the school schedule. That is the reality in which singles live in that we often miss. So when the church says, hey, there is a purpose for your singleness, and that is to benefit this location that you are at only, it's essentially saying what we want you to do is spread yourself out so thin that you burn out so spectacularly that we go, oh, man, they must have never loved the Lord to begin with. And we put the oneness on them. The truth of Scripture does not change. How we handle the application, though, generally has been completely devaluing to the single people of probably this church and many, many other churches around the country. Now, I knew this to be true even before I, I was preparing this message because I remember what it was like to be single. And I am a very strong-minded, opinionated person. And I would be very angry and upset. And I would tell people, you guys suck. (laughs) But I've been married for a while. And I don't think I realized how widespread that mentality causes such deep hurt until I saw it over and over and over and over again in many of the things that were sent to me from my friends. One person wrote, the final passage creates a sense of guilt that singles should be more readily available to serve as, what else could we have going on? I pushed myself to do more with all of this supposedly free time, which often leads to overextending and burnout. And one person shared, I, I think, a make-believe conversation. <laughs> he said, married person to single person, I wish I was single like you sometimes. Between my job, my wife, my kids, I don't have time to volunteer and serve like you get to me. Great. So-and-so gets to be married and have love and intimacy, and I get to be on finance committee on Sunday mornings. Hooray! Glory and honor and praise be to Jesus. Those sentiments were echoed in one way or another in the majority of the feedback that I received. Those sentiments are not unique. That's often how married people, the church across the world, existing systems make people feel. So I just want to uh, clear a few things up real quick. First of all, anyone with breath in their lungs, if you call yourself a Christ follower, are called to serve. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. Couldn't care less. You are called to serve. We are called to serve our church. We are called to serve our community. We're called to serve our family, our friends, the people around us. That is the reality. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet and he said, go and do likewise, he was saying, if, if you are going to follow me, that means I am calling you to do this. But let's call a spade a spade, shall we? Married folks. ooh, Boy, do some of us love to use our marriage and families as an excuse to not do fill in the blank. Invest in relationships. Maybe even invest in our own family. Build new friendships. Serve in the church. Serve in the community. Read scripture, pray. Singles, you're not off the hook. Let's be honest. A lot of singles will use their bitterness and anger of being single as an excuse and justification on why they can't do all of the same things. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he didn't say, you know what, you're single. So clearly you have more time on your hands. So we're just going to entrust this all with you because the married people really need to just focus on their relationship. And he didn't say, you know what, married people, look, this is for you. Like, I'm telling you to do this because single people need to enjoy their freedom and be able to spread their wings and do whatever makes them happy. Level playing field. Breath in your lungs. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you're called to serve. The purpose of singleness encompasses so much more than just physical service. It speaks to the freedom you have to strengthen your relationship with Christ, to bear witness to the beauty of your existing friendships and new friendships. You get to have a perspective that, quite frankly, married people need to hear. There is joy to be experienced. There's laughs to be shared. There are songs to be sung. There are dances to be danced. You get to learn from people. You get to teach other people things. The freedom that you have for the king and the kingdom is limitless, whether you want it to be or not. But it's based on two things, surrender and trust. And listen, married, dating or single, when do we actually start trusting that God's way is good? That the direction and boundaries He set are actually meant To help us flourish, not imprison us. That regardless of your relationship status, that there is purpose. Because it is a gift. And let me be blunt. If you don't know how to trust God in your singleness, why in the world do you think you're going to be able to trust God in your marriage? And if you don't know how to trust God in your marriage, how in the world do you think you're going to be able to trust him with your children? If you can't trust God in the little things, why would you trust him with your future at all? As Sam Albury says in his book, Seven Myths About Singleness, the issue is not whether this path or that path is better, whether singleness or marriage would bring me more good. The issue is God. And whether I will plunge myself into him, trusting him every day. Listen to me. Singleness is not a disease for which being in a relationship is the cure. It is a testament It is a testimony to the sufficiency of Christ in all things. It speaks to the very heart and soul of the gospel message because it says that your life is valuable and meaningful and purposeful and blessed even without marriage and children. Even if you don't want to hear it, even if you don't want to believe it, even if it doesn't always feel that way. There are benefits to being married, sure. There are benefits to being single. And yeah, one is the obvious opportunity to be more productive for the kingdom, to have a little bit more freedom. But I would say more importantly, the benefits that we see with singleness throughout Scripture is first, it serves as a constant reminder where you should be finding your identity. And secondly, it forces the focus off of you and onto Christ. We all know those people who don't know how to exist out of a relationship, You might be that person. And we know what happens. We know what happens when their identity is formed off of whomever they're intertwined with. They take on their personality. They take on their mannerisms. And they don't know what to do unless they're in that relationship because that is what defining them is. The truth is, the hard truth is, as hard as it is to hear sometimes, we will long for a relationship. We will enter into relationships simply because we don't even know who we are. We don't know who we're called to be and who God has created us to be. And study after study after study points out why so many relationships fail because from the onset, the primary purpose is self-interest. The primary motivation is selfishness. And God says, no, 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 you've got it twisted. It's not about you. It's about me. It's not about your spouse. It's about me. It's not about your lack of spouse. It's about me. One older gentleman said this to me. He said, honestly, in retrospect, the desire to please God should have been at the forefront of my life and all the different phases, but unfortunately the desire to please was to myself mostly, other sometimes, and God when it was convenient. Another said, I know this will be unpopular, but I agree with Paul is I really do have more time, energy, money to do the Lord's work than if I were married. I don't have to ask about meeting a financial need or letting someone use my guest room. I can trust God and give above what is reasonable. And one young man wrote, ultimately, my takeaway from these verses that it is crucial to put God first. We have all that we need in God. So we are truly blessed with gifts to be used for the glory of God, whether we are single or married. God is the one who makes us whole. No other relationship or thing or goal achieved will satisfy us. Only God. Being single has a purpose. Being married has a purpose. God will use us in any stage and lead us in his timing. Now last week, I asked the question to everyone, at what point is God enough for you? And the point in asking that question is that throughout Scripture, throughout my life, throughout the lives of people I see around me, when God is not in first place, when he is not in first position, everything else is off kilter. Everything else is out of whack and nothing satisfies and we chase after everything and anything to, to quench the thirst and hunger and nothing will satisfy because only he can. We all know how loneliness is painful. We all know that the fear of being alone can be paralyzing, that seeing other people have what you desire is is exhausting and frustrating. And listen, moving on from unrealized hopes and dreams is one of the most difficult things that we ever do in our lives. But I need you to hear me say this. You are not alone. You're not alone. The truth is, you were fearfully and wonderfully made with a purpose. And I need you. We need you, because we need each other. Married and single, we all need one another to walk through this life well, and I will be the very first to admit, as a married guy, to the singles out there, I'm sorry, because I don't think that I have done a good job of actually seeing you and hearing your story and sharing in your pain and helping you carry your fears. Married folks, I want to challenge you this morning. And I'm going to read a few more things that people sent in to me because we need to hear it. And I hope in, in hearing some of what is shared and what has been shared, that it is a challenge you, to you to, to pop your bubble a little bit, to, to get out of your comfort zone, to realize that there are friends that you have that are single that, that want to be in relationship with you, that want to enjoy you, and that you should want to enjoy them. I hope that this will develop empathy in your, your gut and in your soul. I hope it will lead you to action. But listen to some of these words. One individual wrote, giving single people a chance to tell their story about how they view relationships and how they view marriage. Because most married people will tell me, you know, there are more fish in the sea and you'll find one or something similar. And they do so without knowing the hurt or pain behind the lost relationships that I've had or behind the rejection that I have received. Another person wrote, in my experience, couples are far more likely to want to hang out with other couples and not single people, which I understand, but it also sucks. Being a single adult is so challenging, and I'm not sure that many married people remember or have even had to experience that. In a beautiful, ideal, and fully realized heavenly existence, I too could joyfully live by Paul's wisdom towards singleness. But for now, the world is far too lonely and disconnected. And maybe I'm not mature enough or satisfied enough in my relationship with Jesus. I just think there is too little support for the single person. And another woman I know wrote, I think I speak for many singles, when I say sometimes we just need to be transparent and have the safe place with our single friends and married friends to share some of our disappointment. As we face the possibility that marriage may not be in the cards for us, There may be times where it stings a little bit more than others. Please, just listen. I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to tell me it'll all be okay. I don't need you to tell me that one day I'll find the right person. I just need you to sit with me in it and listen and love me and pray. And then finally, one young woman wrote, my biggest frustration with singleness in the church is the feeling of having less value. It seems the underlying message of the Christian path is to marry and have kids and if you haven't done both of these things then you're incomplete married people you should be lifting up and serving your single friends giving them a place of respite and genuine connection not trying to fix them up with every person you know because you think that they need to be in a relationship not because you you believe that they can't be happy unless they're in a relationship and listen don't answer for them either How often in your married life have you made plans or planned a party or an outing and you go, should we invite so-and-so? And And then you go, well, I don't want them to make, I don't want them to feel like a third wheel or a fifth wheel. And then you don't say anything. So you've answered for them. Let them answer for themselves. Don't, like, the only reason it's awkward is because we make it awkward. (laughs) And single friends... You should be lifting up and serving your married friends, giving them a place of respite and genuine connection, not rubbing your own freedom in their face or being consumed with jealousy because they appear to have what you don't and holding it against them. And listen, you need to speak up because we don't know what we don't know. We all live in our own bubbles. How often have you been hurt by a married friend and you didn't say anything because you just believed the narrative that society has told you for so long And it just sits like, well, I guess married people are better than me. They're not. It's a level playing field. And sometimes we just need you to speak up and tell us because we don't know. Because we didn't even realize it. There's a lot of work to be done. And honestly, I don't know where to start. And talking to some of my single friends. They don't really know where to start, but we need to start somewhere. And so... I want to extend an invitation to every single person, let me rephrase that, to every person who's single um, <laughs> who goes to our church. Uh, on Friday evening, July 9th, I want to invite you to come and break bread, share a meal. It'll be me, um, a few of the staff, and a few married couples from our church with the entire intention of just listening to one another sharing a meal, hearing each other's stories, and beginning to discuss and think and pray of what does it look like for us to continue to level the playing field, and more importantly, how do we love and encourage one another well in this community of faith? We have a sign-up form online that you could sign up, and again, if you are a single person in this church, I would really encourage you to be there because I don't know where to start, and you may not know where to start, But at least getting us together to understand how we could both recognize our relationship statuses as a gift and that we have purpose regardless of relationship status seems like a good first step. I want to leave you with one last quote from um, a very wise young man uh, here at our church. He said, I heard it once said that marriage shows a picture of the gospel. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. I see many people using their single years as a time to find themselves, and that's true to an extent. You should take time to get to know yourself. But a bigger part of that should be asking, God, what can you and I do here that I won't be able to do while I'm married? We must become students of singleness and ask Jesus as our teacher to show us the way. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have created us all so differently and so uniquely with different talents and skills and passions and hopes and fears even, God, I pray that as you have called the church, the bride of Christ, to be different than the culture in which we live, God, that we would take that to heart and step out in places in ways that we should. God, that we would not elevate one person above another, but we would truly see the value and the honor in everybody. Lord, I pray for those who are married in this room that the words of Paul would ring true to strengthen their marriages, to recognize the covenant relationship they have, the, the reality that their body is not their own, but they should be submitting to you and loving each other well, thoroughly and fully. And God, I pray for the single people in this room God, that they know that they are loved and valued even if they don't always feel like it, even if the people around them have failed at showing them that, to just give them a listening ear and to truly see them. I pray, God, that you would hold them close to you, they would hear your voice clearly, and that your spirit would move in them, not only to show them what you have in store for them and what you are calling them to do, but more than anything to give peace in the reality that you are enough. God, for all of us, I pray that we will put you in first position. And when our life seems out of whack and when things seem off kilter when we realize that nothing is satisfying, God, that we will come back to you and realize that it's because only you can. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.